For those that remain, whether here in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 28. Be this week and next week bringing our summer series in the Psalms to conclusion. Hearing from Peter Lyon, our RUF campus minister, next week. This week, our theme from Psalm 28 is worship when your strength is gone. This is God's Word. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest... If you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work, and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord. For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would indeed be our strength to enable and equip us to hear your word and to know anew who you are, that you are the saving refuge of your people. You are our good shepherd. Give us eyes to see this, that we might call out to you even when we have no strength to do anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how can you worship when all your strength is gone? Growing up, my family, we had this, this thing, if, if, if you just were exhausted and fell asleep and slept hard all night or, or just had a nap, and then when you wake up and you have that feeling where you're just weak all over, say, I can't even make a fist. I'm so weak, I can't even make a fist. My college roommates, I would say that to them and they thought I was crazy. Like, what are you even talking about? And one of the reasons, just one of the many reasons I knew I loved Tracy is, is she, one day she's like, Right? I know exactly what you're talking about. You ever felt like just so weak? Can't even 
take the next step. You can't focus. You can't move. You can't interact with people. You can't even make a fist. We live in a world where there is so much out there that is just exhausting. If you find yourself in a place where you can't see to the next place, you can't even bring yourself to get up and and move to it, you're in good company. found out recently my dad was likely diagnosed with Parkinson's. My mom fell and, and broke her her arm right above her elbow. And, and, and all of this week, I'm supposed to be writing a sermon. I can't, I can't bring myself to focus on writing a sermon about how to worship when all your strength is gone because I wanted to devote all my strength to do other things. What about you? How can you worship? When all your strength is gone. We're going to look at this psalm to see what guidance it gives us. We're going to consider four things this morning. What saps your strength? Where do you look for to find strength again? How is true strength revived in you? And what does that true strength accomplish? The first thing I want us to consider is this question. What is it exactly that saps your strength? Do you know what it is? Can you name it? If you're like me, you probably can't even keep track of all the things. There are too many to name. There are loved ones in need. There are pressures at work and at home. There are bills. There are, there's just so many concerns and worries. There are pressures. There are anxieties. There are fears. There is too much. We can't even keep track of all the things that would sap our strength. We're like parents of young children. Some of you, you know all together too well what this feels like. All you can do is, is just try to keep up. They're going in so many different directions. They're all over the place. And you don't even know. Where are they going to go next? What are they going to do next? And it's exhausting. Keep up. The psalmist opens this psalm with this this cry. Where he's in a place where he feels like if if God doesn't hear him, he is going to descend into the pit. There is absolutely nothing left for him. He has no strength. He's not accomplishing anything. He is in desperate and dire straits. We've been considering this summer what it means to worship the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And if your, your heart... Focus there is, is on what it is you worship, what it is you love at the core of your being. If, if your soul, if the focus there is, is your identity, who you are, and what that means for how you live. If, if your mind is, is how you think, how you understand, how you interpret, if, then your strength 
is that, that worldly effect. Like, like, how does that all come together and how you live and go about things in this world? And the psalmist is in a place where he's looking out and he's had no effect on his world. Everything that he's tried, everything he's put himself to, he's got nothing left. And it's all he can do to cry out for mercy, to cry out for help, to lift his hands up toward the holy dwelling place of God. There's something important for us to hear in that. But sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes all you can do is lift your hands to the Lord in prayer. There are so many things out there that would sap us of strength to go about and do the work of the Lord. What is sapping yours? Maybe it's illness or injury. And, and, and you just, you can't. Maybe it's age. And the things that you could do in your 20s, you find out in the heat of this summer, you can't do anymore. Maybe it's the culture that just always seems so negative. Let's cancel everybody. Let's do all these horrible things. Let's, and it just, like, you seem powerless to to bring any good or find any light in it. Maybe the political culture of our day just exhausts you. Maybe you're working and working and working and working, and it seems like you only produce thorns and thistles, and there's never any production in your job. Maybe you're exhausted from fighting sin trying your best to stand against that temptation that comes again and again and again and again. Maybe you're exhausted from giving in to sin and the toll that that has taken on your spirit. Maybe. Maybe you just feel afraid that God is far from you and not there to hear. What is it that saps your strength? And what are we supposed to do about it? Sometimes we look for strength in all the wrong places. The world would teach us to to look for for strength in ourselves or gather strength to ourselves so that we can accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. The psalmist here is concerned that whatever it is he's suffering may cause him to be dragged off with the wicked. He's looked out at the world and the the way they've made their way, the way they've accomplished their ends is through deceit and treachery. They speak peace with their neighbors, but evil's in their hearts. They're just looking for the, the moment where they can stab them in the back and get ahead. They don't care what God thinks or what God calls them to do. And they've done such devious and destructive things that 
that David could only pray that the Lord would just repay them in kind with the horrible things that they've done. And when the world does this, when it looks for strength in self or worldly means, it's, it's looking for an idolatrous strength. So you see here, they, they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hand. If you want to see true strength, that's where it's to be found. Only the works of the Lord reveal a strength that knows no bounds, that that cannot be held back, that can't be questioned or thwarted. But these evildoers, these idolaters, they look everywhere else but there. They give no regard to the works of the Lord. And it comes with a cost. Like the, the, the steroid epidemic that that sports is constantly fighting. Maybe you can win your muscle competition. Maybe you can hit a few more home runs. But it comes at a cost. Those things, they destroy your health. They destroy your credibility. Your records get a little asterisk after them. But here, these workers of evil who have sought strength in crushing their enemies and neighbors who've sought strength in doing deeds that will advance them no matter how wicked or evil they are, they have not taken into consideration that all of their work, all of their strength put together cannot stand up to the Lord when He comes in His glory and in His majesty and in His righteousness to judge. And the Lord will tear down everything It is not of him. He will build it up no more. There is a danger when we look to worldly and idolatrous things for strength. It comes at a cost. It destroys our relationships with those around us. It's easy to think, if, if I just feel superior to the people around me, that will, that will prove that I'm strong. I'll know that I'm strong. But we crush those around us and oppress those closest to us. And it comes at such a deep cost. Because we have crushed and oppressed an image bearer of God. Will God not call that to account? Are we... We cheat or cut corners so that we can get ahead and feel accomplished. Get that grade point average up a little higher. Get the attention of that boss at work. Get ahead of the other company that is our best competition. And and we do things that are maybe a little sketch or, or, or absolutely outlandish. And we just hope we don't get caught. We build up our sense of accomplishment. But at what cost? What what have you really proved when you have to cheat to get ahead? Like those video gamers that download the little cheats that let them, you know, be better than everybody else. It's like like so you're not any good. Like that's that's all you've communicated to me. But 
when we stand before the Lord, say, look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished. Haven't I done great things in your name? He will lift up our underhanded ways. He will call our cheating and our lying to account. It comes at a cost. Or sometimes we think if we can just satisfy these this emptiness in our soul, these cravings that we have, then then we will be okay. Then we will be in a position to accomplish the, the things that need to be accomplished. And so we become gluttons for food. We become drunkards. We fix our eyes on ungodly and wicked images. And we think that if we can just satisfy this craving, then we'll be in a place to do great things in the world. We'll be strong again. We'll be satisfied. We'll be full. Yeah, we never are. That's the, the ultimate cost of an idol. It, it never really gives what it promises, and we're always having to go back for more and more and more. It makes us weaker and weaker and more and more enslaved. What's ironic about all of these things, all of this effort that we put into finding strength in worldly things, it's all just one big excuse to avoid actually dealing with the Lord. To avoid regarding His works and His might. To avoid bowing bowing humbly before Him and seeking His face. And his response. But David, the author of this psalm, a man after God's own heart, he recognizes the danger that the wicked are in. And so from the opening verses, he is calling not to himself, not to the world, but to the Lord. And what brings him strength, what revives strength in him, is knowing that the Lord has heard him. Sometimes we don't like to face the real problem. We don't like to deal with the reality of our weakness. We're like the little child in in the room. When you walk into the room and there's paint all over the wall, and there's a little child in the middle of the room who has paint all over them and all over their hands, Maybe you've had this experience this morning. And you say to them, who did this? I don't know. It was like this when I got here. (laughs) They don't want to deal with the reality of the situation. Here we are, covered in weakness. Clothed in fragility. Our lives but a breath. We want to pretend like everything's fine and we're the strong one. But David doesn't hesitate to admit his weakness. He says in verse 1, I call to you, O Lord, you are my rock. I need help. To you I lift up the voice of my pleas for mercy. And what brings him 
renewed strength, what brings him renewed life, what brings him renewed hope, isn't that all of his problems are fixed, isn't that everything's together. He gives us no indication of that other than he knows that God has heard him. And that God will help him. That God will be that rock, that strength, and that shield for him. Isn't that the way it always works? That when we think so highly of ourselves, when we think that we've got it all together, that when we have just, the world is our oyster, that 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 is when the Lord in his mercy so often brings us low. To remind us where we really are what our condition is really like. We don't know exactly why it is David was feeling this way. He's crying out for mercy, and he's afraid that he's going to get dragged off with the wicked. So maybe it's something that he himself has done. We know that David was not immune to sin. Maybe the wicked around him are on his mind because they're the ones that are doing things to him and occupying his and making him feel so weak because he can't seem for even a moment, to to safeguard himself against them. We don't know. But what we do know is that the Lord communicated to him with power. He heard David's cry for help. Why is it so hard for us to recognize where we are, to be honest about the weakness of our condition. This time, we say to ourselves, this time's the last time I'll sin that way. And we're surprised when, when all of our resolve falters. I'll never let that happen to me again. No one will ever treat me that way. And yet we've moved from relationship to relationship where the very same thing seems to happen. Or we treat others that way, ourselves. We we are weak. Maybe we don't like to admit it because we don't like what we see in ourselves when we deal with it honestly. Maybe we don't like what we see in others. Maybe, maybe we don't believe God will actually give us a hearing. Maybe we don't believe that God is the sort of God who hears a cry for mercy that sees the uplifted arms that answers when we call to him for help. Maybe we have become hardened towards the Lord like the wicked who didn't regard his great works at all. They knew nothing of what he was like, knew nothing of what he was capable of. But David, David knows what we need to know. But the one true most high God is the God who abounds to help the weak and the helpless 
the fatherless and the widow, the sinner. The gospel challenges us to recognize who our God is. He is the God who did not remain in heaven on high and tut tut at all these people that couldn't get themselves together. He came to seek and save the lost, those who were too weak to even know the way to the holy sanctuary, too blind to find their way out of the pit. He is the God who bore in his body the sins of his people. Because we were too weak to do it ourselves. He is the God who gave death the death sentence. Because we can't stand up to it on our own. And if we, in our weakness and frailty, and sin, and blindness. Can't be honest enough about where we are to see that we are in dire straits. If we can't hear the good news that there is a God who is ready and willing and able, He is not far from each of you. Here's your cries. And he abounds with mercy to those in need. We can't see and hear and understand the glory of that reality. We will always be enslaved to the strength, the idolatrous strength of the world. True strength is revived when we recognize that it's in our weakness that His strength is made perfect. So what does that accomplish? When God's strength abounds to us, when He becomes to us a rock and a shield, what happens? It's important that we consider this because all too often we are, with our culture, obsessed with what Luther called right-handed power. We think that if we're strong, we have to then be in an authoritative position to wield that power visibly and mightily. To say to people, this is how you ought to live, and now I'm going to make you do it. And so we obsess over what laws get passed. We obsess over princes and people and positions of power. We obsess over exerting our strength. What the psalmist recognizes is that God has, God has all the power. All the power is God's. And he does something amazing with it. He wields what Luther dubbed left-handed power. God doesn't, he could, he's shown he can destroy the earth to flood it till wickedness is no more. He's shown that he can send armies fleeing. He's shown that he can do whatever he wants to do. But the way he 
most often works his power is in that humble, quiet, unseen way that Luther called left-handed power, where he works all things together for good. Where he didn't come as a conquering king, but as a babe in a manger. Where he didn't crush the Roman oppressor underfoot, but was crucified by them and saw every power and principality nailed to that tree, dethroned and disempowered. But even now, he works his power mightily, interceding for us, praying for us to the Father in heaven. And how will his prayers not be heard? And so the psalmist David recognizes that, that what the Lord's strength accomplishes is that it gathers a people together. It, it redeems a people for his own possession, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. He becomes to them a shepherd who carries them. Through all these things that would sap their strength, both now and forever. He saves them from their sins and from their enemies and makes them his heritage. He becomes a refuge for them. That no matter how weak they may be, they know that the God of all power is with them and is working all things together even for their good. Because God has devoted His strength to develop and encourage and to grow His people to be His very own most prized and beloved possession. How does that? What, like to, to just stop and consider that God's exerting his strength in this world, in all the cosmos, for your good, for my good, for the good of the church. Does that not help you to worship? Even when it seems like all your strength is gone, to be reminded who he is to you and who you are to him. That his strength is not something that you call on as a last resort, but it is the strong foundation that clears the way for you to call out to him in the first place. That he works his strength in this world for your good, not to, so that you would do great things for God, so that you would be faithful. You would be His people. What encouragement that is to parents who are run ragged, to students who are overwhelmed, to everyone who is at work or at home, 
is wondering, how are you going to do the next thing that God isn't calling you to do the next great thing? To just be faithful. To trust Him. To know who He is and what He's doing. That, that the worldly effect that we long to see isn't brought about by our human strength. None of us can change the culture. None of us can change the human heart. But God can and does. He is at work with all his strength for the good of his people. And so what the psalmist tells us is that when the Lord is your strength, you can worship even when your own strength is gone. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, We ask, Lord, that you would indeed make your strength perfect in us. Or that you would show us our weakness, our wretchedness, our sin. And that you would move us to call out to you for help. Lord, that you would give us that confidence that you hear us. And that you respond abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. And help us then, as we take a refuge in you, to not fret over what's next, how we're going to do this or that, that we would lean on you, that we would follow where you lead, our great Heavenly Father, our Good Shepherd, that we might be faithful, that we might be your people who worship the God of all strength. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.